This is part two of a two parts podcast. Yeah, because we got something else to talk about, man. We we want to tell you about what, the opportunity to become an element partner. Okay, what's it? Tell tell me what an element partner is. Oh wait, I think I know. Okay, but you guys tell it. <laughs> I'll let Jack take it. Go ahead, Jack. I was gonna let you take it because you created the word. All right, all right, fine. So an element partner is. Uh, a person that finds an element on the farm and wants to work that element. So basically you're creating a business on the farm and you take ownership of that business. We help you get it established, um, but you're, you're submitting a business plan and that business plan can help be, include us helping you to get it established with a payback. But that, that's essentially what the element partner is. We also have remote element partners, but uh, you, you can go forward with that. Yeah, I mean, the remote element partner is something we're going to be rolling out, and it involves um, completing our educational program and then being certified for certain things that you're doing it right. So, like, our, our first two are probably going to be as an element, a remote element partner to be able to sell honey and bee product under the Perma Ethos brand, and that'll be people that have completed Michael Jordan. Uh, his B course that we'll be putting together and releasing probably either late winter, early spring. And then we're also going to be working with people as remote element partners from a standpoint of a small nursery type of environment where one of our other partners, Nick, El uh, Nick Ferguson, who's been in the, the horticulture world for about 20 years now, uh, we'll be developing a course for that, and that's the remote element partnership. The, the 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 conventional element partner that Joe's talking about, though, is where you'd actually, at this point, come to Elijah Spring and develop your business there. In the future, maybe one of our other farms. So, for instance, our first element partner that we've kind of made the agreement with is is Michael Jordan, the bee guy, and he's going to bring bees and hives and everything and set them up on the Perma Ethos farm. He's going to sell honey under the Elijah Spring and Perma Ethos umbrella. He's working to develop a relationship with a local uh, vendor to develop a mead to sell from the product that he's producing. And that whole business unit, he'll take the lion's share of it, and, and Perma Ethos will take a component of it, uh, as a percentage for backing it, helping him get it set it up, doing his marketing, helping him develop the local marketing channels and things like that. So what I want you to think about, Paul, is how many times you've seen on your forum, permies.com, which, by the way, is the most awesome permaculture forum there is. I know that you'll now, like, put a feather in your cap and repeat that Jack Spirigo said that, because that's what you do, the Duke of Permaculture. Um, but it really is. Like, every time I'm looking for information on something in permaculture – Damned if there's not a permies.com thread in the top ten on Google. Um, but what I've seen a lot of is, I want to do this, and I could do all of these things if I only had access to land. Okay, right. here's land. Bring your butt up here. Take a couple weeks and volunteer work to make sure this is what you really want. Examine what's going on. Determine what you can do. Put real numbers behind it. Come to us with those, and we will figure out how to make sure you have a place to live and make sure you can feed yourself and get your business off the ground, and we'll put you on a pathway, and we expect in a certain timeline, some may be shorter than others depending on what the element is, that you're going to get up and fly all by yourself, and you're going to develop your own revenue streams with our help and support. I don't know of anything like that in permaculture anywhere that exists that way. Even if you look at what Joel Salatin is doing with fiefdoms, it's pretty much like, 
Okay, yeah, here's some land, go. It's not, okay, what do you need? And, and, and then the response to, our response to that is, okay, fine, show us the ROI. Show us the plan, show us the numbers, and if, if it's doable under our current budget, we'll fund it if we think you're a good bet. And I, I don't think there's a lot of opportunity out there like that right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, <clears throat> and I was going to ask, like, how does this compare to Joel Southland's systems? And it sounds well, there like, you go. Oh, it's the same. It's and the so, same but different, man. My, my pod people um, are familiar with that one. But, but now yours is going to be different because you're going to want to see a business plan. Is that right? Yours Correct. is different from Joel Southland's systems. It doesn't have to be an 80-page full SWOT analysis on the marketing side business plan, but it does have to be like, okay, let's, let's use bees for an example, because I'm familiar enough with that to, to lay out some examples that if I had 50 hives, each hive on a low end should be able to produce a hundred pounds of honey. So there's, there's, you know, 5,000 pounds of honey going market rate is this cost of setup is that, Additional peripheral products are this, opportunities for uh, splitting out, developing nukes, and selling those is why, and a basic understanding of what the numbers are. Because if a person just says, well, I want to do a uh, an egg mobile, a new pasture poultry for eggs. Okay, how many chickens? What's the going rate of a dozen eggs that are pastured this way? You know, so it, it doesn't even mean that we won't help you develop it. We'll help you develop the plan. We're not just like, bring us a plan or, or, or go away. You are, you're icky and we do not want you. It's not like that, but there has to be some thought process behind it because one of the things I've seen in permaculture, and I don't want to bend anybody's nose the wrong way here or anything, but this, like, they watch a bunch of YouTube videos or whatever, and they're like, oh, it's easy, and I'll just do this, and there'll be money, and everything will be wonderful, and unicorns will come and fart rainbows, and I will ride my rainbow down, and I will get money, and it will be great, and I will have abundance and surplus to share. And no, we, we want to see the mindset of this is a business. This is this is the numbers behind the business. This is where I would locate it on the property. This is why I've chosen that location. And I, I think that, again, it's not like if you don't bring us an 80-page proposal that you would bring to a venture capitalist, we don't want to talk to you. But it is like that, that thought press ha- process has to be there. And, you know, we're going to sanity check your numbers and make sure they make sense. And it's also going to have to be something that we, we can envision existing on our farm. If you come to us and say, we want to raise chinchillas for fur, we're probably going to say, yeah, we're not really interested. All right. I want to, I want to insert my obnoxious and unasked for opinion. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> First, I think that anybody that's uh, going to, to, to come to this project is going to be familiar with uh, your stuff. And I I seriously don't think they're going to be into unicorns and farting rainbows. Um, I I think think they're already going to have – they're all going to be pretty solid. And I also think the same of my audience. I don't think you're going to find anybody in my audience that's going to be – and this is – I call them the purple crowd. And and I believe I'm – every time I say that, i got to qualify it by saying – I think I've got a fair bit of purple in me, but um, and at the same time, I'm a very harsh businessman. But exactly. But but the, here's where I've got my obnoxious opinion, and that is that I'm going to say I'm going to raise chinchillas and I'm going to try and make some money out of it. And you're going to say, "Oh yeah, 
how much money are you going to make? And my answer to you is, none of your fucking business, Jack. Look, Good, then wanna, do it by yourself. I want to overlay this. I want to be on the land. I want to yeah. be able to do this. And then it's like, you know what? But I am, I am, I'm the one gambling here. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to invest ten grand into chinchillas, and I've got some ideas on how it's going to work out. But you know, it might not work out, and I'm going to I'm going to go bust. But I got I want to I want to take the gamble. Now, what I need to know from you, Jack, is like how much do you need from me for the level of impact I'm looking to doing? And I mean, like, what do I need to do to tell you, like, how I'm not going to screw everything up on your land and that kind of thing. I, I have to say that at that point I would say since we don't want a chinchilla operation, I don't really care. I mean, just just completely honest with you. But I, I get the point that you're making, and my point is that I'm stepping into this and my partners are stepping into this at at least equal risk share because we're providing you a place. If you show us a good opportunity, we're providing you uh, initial funding. We're providing you a marketing channel. Uh, we're providing you support from the rest of the community to get your operation up and running. We're not asking you to show up and do it all by yourself. And if that's not good enough, then why are we talking? Because that wasn't the invitation. No, I, I guess I guess my feeling is like for like for example, my brother is currently running cattle and hogs up on the laboratory, okay. and and it's kind of like um, <clears throat> so he and I talked about it a little bit, but I don't feel it's my business to get involved in how much he sells them for, and in fact, um, I would imagine that market is going to shift from point to point, and that's really his affair, and I I kind of feel oh. like I don't want to be involved in that so i don't and granted while i'm supplying land he's supplying labor and materials and he's taking the biggest risks but at the, at the same time what i did say was is that i do have requirements about how animals um are on my land and they need to move at least this often and they you know I don't want to see the, the, the ground whittled down this much and things of that nature. There, I have requirements. I have things sure. that are within my comfort zone. For sure, how and, this so, and, and so would we, but I'll, I'll put it to you a completely different way. Perma Ethos was launched and in a week did $450,000 worth of revenue right. in a week. Okay, It's a brand-new company due in large part to a massive amount of social capital that have been developed by myself and Josiah. And what we are offering is not just a piece of land to run cattle on. Because if you want that, you can lease land cheap anywhere and go do that. Right. We are offering the willingness to market your product to our market. And if that ain't good enough, I... Bless you and kiss you on the forehead, and may you be fruitful and multiply cattle or bees or what chinchillas or whatever it is until you are blue in the face and be successful and make millions of dollars. But go do it somewhere else. Because it's not you taking the biggest risk. It's us taking the biggest risk because we're installing you on a property with one of our clients who we have a responsibility to. It, it's not just the Joe and Jack. Uh, you know, Utopia, Libtopia, right? This is a, a client-based farm run for profit at the behest of a client. And if you don't get that, then raise chinchillas in your basement. 
Okay. <clears throat> so I, it sounds like part of what's going to be required for people that are going to be doing a, being an element partner. And, and let me clear one thing up before you go on, because like, you're talking about like, the price of catalog. It's true. We don't know what your cow's going to sell for, but we do know a basic market value of cattle. Okay, There's a, a certain baseline to a reasonable expectation for a grass-fed and grass-finished cow uh, of, of average weight raised in this ecosystem. We know there's a basic value to that. And if your and input requirement is... $80,000 to get something off the op, uh, going and running off the beginning just to be obscene that's going to run five cattle, okay, then yeah. the ROI is not there. So it's right. not about sharpening the pencil down to the final penny. It's about does your plan make financial se uh, sense since we're willing to step up as a financial partner in it just the same way a bank would ask you, only we'd be probably far more lenient than a bank. But if, oh, you're, yeah. if, if your numbers just don't make sense, right, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to grow cucumbers. Okay, great. And you're going to grow 10 bushels of cucumbers. I can't afford for you to be there for 10 bushels of cucumbers. I'm sorry. The market doesn't bear it, if that makes sense. And it's, right. also, and it's also a big element sink. So you need to make sure that your element will sync with the rest of the elements, and those elements will sync well with your element. So you might want to do something we're not ready for yet, right? Yeah. I mean, if somebody came to you right now, Joe, and said, I want to raise trout, you'd say, that's a fabulous idea. Come see me in a couple of years. Because we're just yeah. not – we can't do that right now. We're not anywhere near the place where we could add that element to what we're doing right now. So now I, I thought that the cool thing about when Joel Salatin talks about fiefdoms is it's like, okay, I've got – on, on any piece of land right now, like the, the, the one with the most fiefdoms might have like 12 fiefdoms right now. But it's like there's room for 70. And, and out of those 70, I'm, I've got guesses on what, you know, 15 of those might be. But the rest of them, like I've never even thought of yet. Correct. And, and so <clears throat> um, the land could probably hold even more than 70. It's, it's this thing where it's like the overlaying. And then each time... A new project is overlaid. Oftentimes, that project, that new project that's overlaid, receives benefit from the other fiefdoms, and then the new exactly. fiefdom also um, adds some small benefit to some of the other fiefdoms. Just and that's revenue between the two elements. And, yeah. Exactly, and that that's all good and well, but just to like to explain the sanity check here, because remember, Joel is a public speaker speaking in public and making things sound simple. Yeah. But one of the things he was clear on out of Permaculture Voice is if somebody came to me and said, we want to raise 50,000 broilers, he said, I'd have to say no because I can't sell 50,000 broilers. So even there, there are certain limitations based on what's the, what, what will our individual market umbrella bear. And again, does, does your numbers make sense? Right, so we're all about that. In fact, one of the requirements Joe has of his people, as you get toward the end of your rotation, he wants like ten ideas from you. What could you do to make money here? What what, what could you do? Even if they don't want to do it, that's part of your payment to us. As you've been there this long, if I said to you right now, you've lost your job, there's nowhere to go but here, you can't go home, make something happen. What would you do? Because we want that intel from people because they will see things you won't see. 
I like that. I like. I think we should put that on our our little question. I think you should. Like you, you, you should hold them at gunpoint. I know you don't have a gun, but your brother does. And like you can't be give us five <laughs> ideas for revenue. <laughs> I I I like that. I mean, if, if nothing else, I like the idea of saying like, okay, you're coming here as a gapper or whatever, and so like, let's say you know you you you're going to be here for the next twenty years. What might you do for income? Although you know, I got to take that back now. Now I'm changing my mind about this because I feel like <clears throat> some people they they're not sure what they want to do. They but they know that what they're doing is not it. And what we're yeah. doing smells like it. it smells like this yeah. is this is where I'm supposed to be. Let, let me let me tell you on that though, Paul. Like part of the reason you pressure people to do this is to get them unstuck and get because people have this fear. Like if I say an idea is a good idea, then I'm stuck with it. I have to do it. No, you don't. You have to get it out. So when you look at people that go to a typical landscape design uh, college degree. Do you know what they call the trace paper that you put over the main print where you, you do all your ideas and schematics? What they teach you to call that piece of paper? Onion paper. Trash. <laughs> to get in the mindset that what you draw there, that's why it's trace paper. It doesn't matter. You've got to get the idea out. Because if you don't let it out, it won't evolve. What the hell? <laughs> That's Josiah, man. That's Joe, man. He's like running down truckers or something. But anyway, if you don't get the idea out, it won't evolve into anything. So I've always pressured interns, employees, etc. Tell me what you think. And and a lot of times there's just like this fear, like you're going to say that idea is stupid. And I'm like, I might say it's stupid, and you might prove me wrong. Because as soon as the mind engages the idea, it starts to connect dots that were never connected before. So I will absolutely push somebody to spit out an idea, even if it's dumb, because three dumb ideas might lead to one brilliant idea. That's true. true. Where is he going? I think he's under arrest. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I hear sirens now. That's the holler. (laughs) So... All right, let's. I, I, I mean, I, there's gobs and gobs of things that I want to say right now. That's about what I'm doing. That's <laughs> different than what you're saying. But I, I think, I think we're trying to focus on perma ethos on this show instead of what yes. I'm doing. Yes. yes. And I, I think my listeners already know what I'm doing. Yes. So, um, uh, the Element Partner, much like uh, uh, Joel Salatin's fiefdom program, only you know you're going to have to have a business plan, and it'll it'll need to. And of course. With with Joel's and let me, and before you go, before you say that, you're not going to Joel's farm, saying you have an idea, and oh, yeah. setting up a fiefdom on any of Joel's farms no. without a business plan. I don't know where you pulled that idea out of, but no, after no, no. talking to him, I can tell you absolutely. If you don't have some concrete idea of numbers. Now, it might be really easy if you're doing an internal fiefdom. So, like if you were setting up a market garden and like one of these things you set up where the guy basically sold the food to Polyface for Polyface use, it might be easier. But Joel is not letting you set up a fiefdom without a plan. It's not happening. Oh, no. you got to have some kind of rough plan. And then it's yeah. got to, your plan's got to include what are you, what's, uh, what are you giving to Joel as part Correct. of the plan. Correct. You know, and, and, uh, I so so I, I just kind of am feeling a little bit like when I've talked to Joel, 
um, than ab- about this idea, about this thing. It, it sounds more like there's a, con- a, a simple conversation that's not a plan, and then afterwards, after the conversation, then um, and it, you're going to have a, I think he calls it a memorandum of understanding. Mm. And, yes, so, it's uh, genius. And, <laughs> so, and, and, uh, um, and that's, it's, it's basically about the relationship between the two people. Yeah. And how it's gonna and how it's gonna work out. I don't get the idea that it's a formal business plan. It's more like and it, I also whereas with, with Perma Ethos it sounds like it's it's a document that's gonna go in front of a lot of different people. Um, well it'll go in front of five people. Um okay. and possibly our board of advisors. Possibly yeah. depending on things. And it also depends on who's bringing it, how much information we're going to require. Uh, Michael Jordan, who makes his living from bees and has an existing bee business and says, I can do this and bring more here, it, it, the, 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 the bridge is a little you know, easier to cross right. because you've got a proven track record. Some guy we've never heard of before that decides he wants to put in a Cornelian cherry orchard, well, we're going to have to know how you're going to develop that market. We can help you with it, but we're going to need quite a bit of information about how you're going to develop that market. Because there's not a big existing market for Cornelian cherries. I think they're a great fruit, but we're going to have to think about that. And we're going to have to look at that. So don't let the word business plan... Again, I, I said this. Like I said, I'm not saying an 80-page you know, document like you'd go to a VC with... Oh, yeah, but you, yeah, yeah. you have to have a basic understanding of the market you're entering, what the basic market will bear, what possible premium you could come up with, what possible level of production you could do with what you're asking us to provide you, how much money you need to get it going. And frankly, I'd say to anybody that thinks that's too much, good luck on your own. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and, and once again, I want to insert my obnoxious, unasked-for opinion. <laughs> and, and that would be that to say that, you know, it should fit on one page. Uh, I would, you know what? Actually, I would actually tell you that the person that brought me a one-page plan that that actually gave me what I'm asking for would go to the front of the line. <laughs> I've all no, I've always been on the one page. The, the the guy that I don't like some things that he did because he's in government. I hate government, but the guy that I took that philosophy from is Ronald Reagan. The one-page memo. You should be able to take any concept, idea, or decision and define everything that's actually important on one page and enough for me to make a decision on one page. So when I say business plan, it may fit on one page. You might throw a spreadsheet in with it to show me you've done some market analysis, but I should be able to get the gist of what you're saying. I I actually really like that. But a lot of people would struggle, Paul, that actually did all the research to go down to that level of uh, condensing. And I wouldn't throw them out because they brought me five pages or ten. So I, I'm going to. I want to now continue where I was going about five minutes ago, and then you're going to tell me like, yes, we're going to do that also, or we're going to do a different thing. And that okay. is that with Joel Salatin saying, my understanding is is that everybody that's coming to him and saying I want to do a fiefdom deal is somebody who's already spent probably at least six months. Uh, there working with Joel and and so he's got some history there and and at some point in time it sounds like Joel's kind of like he wants you to transition into a fiefdom mm-hmm. and and so at some point in time you're kind of 
It's kind of expected. You got to figure out what your fiefdom's going to be. Um, yeah, Joe can say more on that after he gets out of his tunnel or whatever. But uh, I mean, we look at it this way: like our tenant farmers, as we call them, they're not a, a real. I mean, a tenant farmer from the Middle Ages was you leased a piece of land from a monastery or something, and and you farmed it, and you either succeed, succeeded or you failed. They're they're not that way. I mean, we're paying them a salary um, of about a thousand dollars a month. And we're providing them housing, and we're providing them meals. And but we are looking for them to again either step up to a position where we feel like they can move to another farm and run it, doing Joe's job on that farm, or for them to say, you know what, running the whole farm not my thing. I want to do cattle, or I want to do pigs and cattle, or I want to do bees, or I want to do whatever it is, and move into that element partner position. With with Wamfers, we're constantly prodding them. What could you do? What could you do? Um, but we will take somebody that comes to us and says, I want to do this, if they don't have a real track record there. We would absolutely require that they spend some time on the farm working the farm okay. and understand the environment and the conditions before we said yes. And in the end, since at Elijah's Spring, Joe is the head farm steward, whether you get in or not is going to be his decision because that's his farm that he's running. Um, so in the end, Joe's going to be the one that makes that call whether or not we would install you there. Now, say two years down the line, I've got four farms. Well, now I've got four Joes. I can't ever really have another Joe, but i got four other guys doing Joe's gig. They would make that call on the farm that they're running. And Every element partner has the potential eventually to say, well, I want to move beyond this and move up to there. So we have a, a very multifaceted opportunity in front of people. It's not just one farm or four farms in one state. You know, we're looking to do this thing nationally. We've got the horsepower behind us to make that happen now. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing. But, yeah, I don't think we would ever hire somebody that's never been there as an element partner. Okay. But six months we might not require either. If you got a guy that comes in, kicks ass and takes name for 30 days and goes, I can do this, gives us a plan, and says, let's get going, and we believe that plan is actionable, you know, we'll back it. But in the end, again, Joe's, Joe's got the final veto on that because it's his farm. Okay. So, <clears throat> next one, the, the next item I've got on my list of things to talk about is that you've got some um, – courses or workshops coming up. Is that that's true? Yeah. I mean, I've got down here something about uh, plants and another thing that's kind of similar um, uh, with bees, a mentorship. Is so, that, do I have this right? Yeah. In, in Permethos, we have uh, two two educational sections we, we focus on. One is the online educational section, and one is the on-site educational section. So the on-site uh, workshops that we have coming up. We have a uh, earthworks workshop, which is a massive earthworks uh, workshop. We're connecting major swales uh, in between ponds. Um, we have four large ponds we're putting in and eight smaller ponds um, that are going on the 20-acre hill, uh, first hillside of Elijah Spring. Um, so that's that's the Earthworks workshop we're doing. And then after that, we're going to be doing a uh, fencing workshop. And the fencing workshop is 30,000 feet, or about 30, 
on about roughly 35 acres um, of fencing that we're putting in for paddock shift and laneway system. Um, that's also going to be taught by Darby Simpson and myself. And so that workshop's coming up uh, probably at the beginning of next year. Um, the Earthworks workshop coming up in either the end of August, beginning of September. So those are the two big workshops coming up. We also have a plant propagation course uh, coming up, and Jack can fill you in more on that. Yeah, so we one of our partners, Nicholas Ferguson, again, as I mentioned him before, he's been in the horticulture world for uh, about 20 years, and he's in his 30s, so that tells you something about how young he was when he started. And uh, we've, we're working with him to develop a, uh, a program for plant propagation and basically backyard nursery. And uh, we see a lot of opportunity there for people to sell plants in their local communities, but also have access to the Perma Ethos brand because they're doing things the way that they were trained by us. And it's not just you sign up for the course, you take the course, you do that. There'll be tests and there'll be some evaluation to make sure that when we say this person's you know, doing things and providing the quality that we're looking for, that we have an assurance there. And we'll have an opportunity for customers to offer reviews, you know, kind of like an Angie's List type of thing. And if somebody's getting like a, a bunch of crappy reviews, we'll revoke that. So it's not like just a, a permanent, you're stamped and, you know, you can do that. And then, as I mentioned, Michael Jordan also is developing the, the course with uh, – with bees so that we'll have people that can be remote element partners that way. And we've been approached with some other remote element partnership uh, concepts with people developing courses uh, in the herbal world and some other things. And we'll take things under you know consideration as we go. We do have to be careful not to go too far too fast and to make sure that we're, we're doing a good job so we can provide the, the type of customer service and follow-up uh, that we're looking for. Uh, Joe is about to bring in a virtual assistant uh, it actually will be on the farm for uh, a week for some direct training to do customer service and things like that. We want to make sure that somebody's taking an online course. If they have questions, that question goes to the right place. A question gets answered in a reasonable amount of time. If they have a billing concern, I mean, the 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 online component of this has almost as much work as the on-site component of this, not just from education, but from just daily operations. It's uh, it, it's it's really amazing how how big it's gotten as fast as it has, and we're very excited about that. But we're also at a point now where we're like, we're we're holding the throttle. We're not backing it off, but we're also not pushing it forward for a little bit until we make sure we can take care of everybody's needs. <clears throat> I, I I understand that we're we're currently throttling back because we've everybody here is just exhausted from the from the big push. Um, it's, we've we've been here about a year, um, and and it's like uh, it's it's time to to throttle back a little bit. And Joe, how long have you been on site? Like seventy days or something like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just over two months. And it's it's and amazing what they've though. got done. I mean, they've put in a parking lot. They've built housing. The chicken coop. I heard you kind of giggling, Paul, when Joe talked about converting that to housing. Dude, that place is awesome. I mean, it is. It is a tiny house on steroids, it, and it's got a beautiful view of the creek. The creek is all rock bottom. Guys drive you know, vehicles right down the creek without sinking because it's a solid rock bottom creek. Uh, it's, it's, it is absolutely outstanding. I don't think you could build it today because the type of timber it was built with, there's not much of it standing anymore. So you, you've got to understand the level of what they've done already 
is is really kind of hard to comprehend, I think, in such a short period of time. And I think it's because we have gotten outstanding people in there to do work. Like I said, Joe got to a point where, like, they're all working 14-hour days, and then they're getting grumbly at the end of the day. And he's like, so I've got to, like, tell them, like, okay, you're done. You're done for the day. So our, you know, our minimum workload that Joe has people to come there and be, you know, a volunteer worker and to be fed in house, we expect you to work a minimum of a four hour day. I don't think he's ever had anybody work a four hour day though. No, in fact, one of our applications was four hours. Ha ha ha. That's great. <laughs> okay, so um, now yeah, people want. We've gotten a lot more done too. Well, I mean, we we also got. Um, Three three ponds in the lower fields done, and we also got two larger ponds put in. One of which uh, feeds our entire livestock. The the other 80 acres where all the livestock paddock shifting is going um, with the baffle plate and every uh, pipe, water pipe and baffle plate. Um, and so we we're almost finished with that final one, uh, which is a valley top dam with a silt uh, uh, trap dam below it. Um, those have also been put in place already. You, you know, I forgot to mention those additional ponds, Joe, and this is a great opportunity for people to understand what what needs to be done at a business level for business decisions. So Joe gets in touch with me one day and says, we got a problem. And I, I'm like, what's the problem? He says, okay, we ordered these baffle plates for the dam so we can put penetrations in the dam walls without blowing them up and feed water with gravity to all our animals. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, I know that. What's the problem? He's like, well, the people we ordered them from a week before the dam was installation began said they would have them to us in seven days. We're now way past seven days. All the, 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 the guys from the excavation company are done with everything they can do until we have those baffle plates, and they're going to leave if we don't give them more work. Oh, crap. Well, what does that involve? So a couple things. Number one, they're going to charge us a $2,000 trip charge to come back here. Number two, they're a big company that does this stuff, and they, they kind of took us because we were in a hole in their labor pool, and we, we were ready to work with them and ready to pay them, but if they get on a big job, they might not be back here for 30 or 40 days. Oh, crap. And he's like, I can put them to work on this other section. They can do some clearing. They can put some roads in. They can do some access stuff. They can put some small ponds in, but they're going to cost us, I think it's like 2800 bucks a day. But they'll do whatever we want because it's an hourly rate. And we had to make a decision. Let's let's either get these people who are dragging their feet to get it done, and they didn't. We got two other partners working to find us a different solution to the baffle point problem, and and one of them worked out. We put them to work for a couple days and paid the extra money, but we didn't burn the two thousand dollars on the trip fee. Got the solution in, and then got that done. And and and. When you hear me say things like business plan and that scares people, this is why it shouldn't. These are the real business decisions that cost real money that have to be made when you're developing the infrastructure, which is expensive, but if you do it right, you develop 100 years to 200 years to maybe 1,000 years worth of infrastructure in the first couple years. So it's worth putting the money into. And, and that was, you know... That's the type of thing that, you know, probably is going to end up in a PowerPoint deck someday, how we, how we made that decision. But really the way we made it was me pacing back and forth in my front yard and Joe probably pacing back and forth in a pasture on a cell phone to each other. Like, we've got to figure out how to deal with this because if we make the wrong call, it's not just going to cost us direct money. It's also going to cost us time and it's going to cost us not being able to put water to our animals. 
So we had to pull all the partners together, get a consensus, and get that done. And we were able to do that in a couple hours because we were all thinking with a business head. It wasn't about any emotional thing like they should do that for us because they should share their surplus or some crap like that. It was this is a nuts and bolts business decision that we have to make, and the people on the other side of us, they're not our enemy. They're our partners, but that equipment burns money if they're not running it, and they have every right to pull out if we don't have work for them to do. But it puts us in a bad situation, so how do we handle it? And if, I, I'm telling you, if you want to go into permaculture to make your backyard look awesome, you can breathe all the purple you want in your words, right? But if you want to make money on a farm, you have to have at least some level a cold, calculating business mind to go along with a very moral and ethical uh, agenda and goal. And those two are not exclusive from each other. I know you know that, but I'm not sure everybody listening to us does. Well, and, and this gets into that whole thing that you and I have spent hours um, arguing about on the phone when we're not recording a podcast um, about about ethics. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think, well, anyway, <clears throat> I, I think that the techniques that we teach come with an ethics package. And it's like Correct. implementing a lot of these techniques, you end up following the ethics without even trying. But then if you try to go ethics first, it's my philosophy that, People have been debating ethics for millennia, and and it's like, uh, um, and there's people that are doing some extremely unethical things, saying that it's ethical, and that not only is it ethical, but it's the permaculture ethics, and it's kind of like, uh, and then we could point at them and say, but that's not what was meant, and they're like, yes, it is, and it's like, oh, great, now we've got one of these kinds of debates going on, you know, no, I'm not, you are too. No, see, I don't do that. I'm like, call Bill and ask him. So, so since I've actually been able to ask that question, not directly to Bill, but the guy that I consider is his direct protege, and I've said, what would Bill say? And, and Jeff has said, Bill would say this. I'm like, we're done. We're done with that discussion. We're done talking about that. You can, And I'm not going to fight you about it. You can believe whatever you want. But you just go make your own five of them, and I'll stay in mine, and, and we'll work that out. And, and my belief is actually the ethics, and this is where we've had a debate, the ethics do come at the front, because if the ethics are actually practiced the way that they were defined, they actually develop the solutions for you. And one of the things that, and I have to say this here on online right now, because it may look a little bit like we compete with Jeff's online PDC or whatever. Jeff Lawton is my greatest mentor in, in, in all things. Jeff Lawton is a guy that when I met him, it was one of the proudest days of my life. And he he has taught me so many things long before I ever even met him. And one of the things I learned from him is the more restrictions in a design, the more elegant the design becomes. And one of my proudest days when I was able to kind of flip that around on him and tell him, because he's always said if you had like a blue sky budget, a great big square piece of land, the ability to do anything you want to it with it, it's actually difficult to design because you don't have enough restrictions to guide your creativity. And I said, well, in that situation, those three ethics are your initial restrictions, and that's what guides your creativity. And I believe that as long as we don't try to turn the third ethic into something it's not for political agendas, then that's exactly what it does. Because if I'm required to, you know, there's two ways that ethics have been expressed by the actual founder of the movement. One is to limit population and consumption, and the other one has been to return surplus. And they really are kind of the same thing. And if I have to build a farm with the fact that every single thing I produce in surplus is my problem, not somebody else's, 
then I'm going to develop a sustainable system, I'm going to care for the earth, and I'm going to care for people. And I, I think that as long as we don't bastardize that and try to turn it into some kind of political agenda, it actually is one of the greatest guides to design that there is. But it takes a certain amount of personal discipline to be able to do that. Because I have my own p political agenda, right? Which is no politics, right? And everybody else has their own political agenda. And we always have this compulsion to draw our politics into something. But permaculture is about design, like architecture is. And if you go to architectural school, whether you are an atheist or a, a Catholic or a Protestant or Jewish or Hindu, and somebody says, can you design a church for me? Well, you can design a church based on architecture. And you don't have to let your religious baggage get in the way. So I can design an ecological system without letting my, per my, my politics get in the way if I put the design first. And, and to me, I can do that ethically in a way that's universally ethically as long as I stay true to the core message. And that's why I think that those three little sentences are the brilliance that all of the design is based on. And that's why that crotchety old crazy man is one of the most awesome human beings that's ever walked the face of the earth. So now I think that your expectation of the average human being is higher than mine. Oh, no, no, no. My expectation is really low. My, my standard is very high. So oh, okay. I don't expect people to meet that standard. But I'm still willing to set that standard and say, if you want to play ball at this level, that's the standard. So how many people do you think, Paul, percentage-wise in this country, have the, the capability to play Major League Baseball? Okay. First, first you've got to know that I don't think I've seen a baseball game in okay. 10 years. To, uh, I don't care. To, to so, be a right, right. programmer, to, to play NFL to football. Have, to have the ability to pay, play professional baseball, yeah, um, uh, I guess would be the exact number of positions there are for playing. There you go. Okay, so it's a very low percentage, but we ain't lower in the bar. And the guy that plays minor league ball and does really, really well and never makes it there, that's the bar he's aiming for. So I'm not bringing the standard down due to the inability of people to meet it. See, I, I see it as, is like, how can I move permaculture as a whole forward? And then it's like, I, if I give people the three ethics to use as tools, then I see them using them in a less than ethical fashion or not making progress or turning it into a, a lifelong debate or something like that. Whereas it's like, I, I believe that the person is, is uncommon that will be able to take the three ethics and solve problems in a way that the three ethics were designed to solve. But I mean, the one, can, but, but Paul, the one, the one that does becomes a Jeff Lawton or a Sepp Holtz or oh, a Paul Wheaton. You understand okay, sure, that? Sure. And that is worth it because that one creates thousands of minor leaguers and thousands of B leaguers and D leaguers and thousands of little leaguers and thousands of Pop Warner football players and thousands upon thousands upon thousands. But that one sets the expectation that I might not even be to that level myself, but that's what I aspire to. So that's what you should aspire to, too. I can. 
I can hand a bow saw, a brand new, high quality bow saw, to ten different people, and say, "I need you to." There's trees over there, and we need firewood over there. And um, within an hour, nine out of ten will have broken the bow saw. Correct. Okay. So, uh, and the thing is, is that you are looking for that one out of ten. And I'm looking to get wood piled up. And and I'm also wanting my tools to not get broken. <laughs> and so I kind well, of... Well, I give you your like, first blade, baby. you got to buy your own replacements and let's go make some wood. I mean, that's... that's you know, you get into a philosophical debate now. So I'm yeah, not going to ever exactly. tell... Let me make sure I explain this correctly. I'm not going to ever tell somebody, you, sir... I'm not a true permaculturist because you have changed the ethics. I'm going to say you're wrong about the ethic. Good on what everything else you're doing. Keep going, right? But when I teach, when I teach, I'm going to teach from the original design concepts as I understand them based on the direct information I have from the people that have direct access to that information, right? So when I say, am I wrong about this? And, and I have a guy like Lawton tell me, oh, no, you're not wrong at all. That's exactly what yeah. Bill would tell you. Well, then that's what I'm going to teach. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think, and, and this is the exact same argument that you and I have for hours and hours and hours every time we have this argument. And, and it's like, you know, we're, we're seeking different things. Yes. Teach the ethics. That is good. And, that is good and right and decent. At the same time, I'm struggling with people that have not taken the PDC and they have they they've read the three ethics, but not the explanation that goes with it, and they're they're committing crime in the name of the third ethic. Yeah. And, well, understand. I spend ninety eight percent of my time on technique and two percent on philosophy here. We're, we're talking about this because you brought it up. I, I, you know, the sure. latest video series I'm doing is how to propagate uh, comfrey, how to make fertilizer yeah. from comfrey. And it, you can have any freaking etherical, political, or religious belief you want, and that still works the same way. So we want the same thing. I'm just unwilling to shelve something that I think will make some people exceptional. And one of the things you said about the work that we're doing here at Permaculture Voices is we're reaching people yeah. that the conventional people in permaculture are not reaching. And we're reaching them precisely because we refuse to breathe purple. And we specifically state things that are so clear to the average person that it does make sense to them. And when they look at this thing and they see some video of a bunch of people rolling around in mud or something like that, and they think that's what permaculture is, and they hear someone like myself or Joe speak entirely different about it, they say to themselves, maybe this is something for me. And that's why we're able to reach those people. Instead of preaching to the converted, we're preaching to the heathens. And we're reaching the heathens because they're not really heathens. They're just people that don't understand what this is really about. And, and that's why we have the broad reach that we have. That's why we can, we can do something like raise you know, $400,000 for permaculture in a week. We can do that because we're not parroting pablum. We're speaking the core truth. And I am not a religious man, but ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There's a, so, 
there's a quote that Molson made was was uh, there's no room for politics, religion, or law in permaculture, and I I like that. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I, yeah. I completely agree. Um, my my last bit on the ethics is that I have this set of experiences with managing my forums about permaculture. And so I get to have lots of encounters with lots of different people, and then we need to solve the problems, as well as there's the actual content of the forums where we're talking about different permaculture things. And, and, and yeah, I, I think I've got some, some track record for putting out a, more, a very practical perspective on permaculture. And um, so it just, it's been my experience that when the ethics come up, it's like, a, to me, in my mind, a, a big red flag goes up. Like, oh shit, here we go. You know what's crazy, Paul? Until what? I met you, I didn't even know anybody changed the third ethic. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> I had no idea. I swear to God, I had, I had lectured at multiple PDCs as guest instructors. I had helped teach workshops. I had been to workshops. I had talked to permaculture people my whole life. But I was working in a space of let's get shit done. And I actually think the people that you think are a problem are 1%, but they're a noisy-ass 1%, and I just don't have time for them. Yeah. Oh, I just I, don't. I'm not going to alter what I teach for 1%. I'm going to dedicate myself to the 98 99% that are here to learn the things that work. And All I'm, all I'm trying to say is my experience is that when the ethics are brought up, it's not to be used as a tool for good, and and it's like uh, so then then I, so now I've been trained to be um, skittish, spooked. Yeah, uh, it's like uh, well, in oh, your defense, no. you've had some people do some really stupid crap claiming the ethics, like taking somebody's copyrighted material, scanning it, and distributing it for free, even though the person that wrote it said, "Dude, I'm not cool with that. This is how I make my living." And they go, "I'm sharing the surplus, dude." Okay, that well, person's a problem, but I'm not catering to that person. I don't. I don't have time to to argue. Uh, the ethics with someone, but I do have time to prove them wrong. Beautiful, Joe. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That's why we're partners right there. <laughs> okay. And I'll tell you what, Joe can take a dyed-in-the-wool Republican and beat them down in one night into anarchy. <laughs> I've seen it done. I've seen it done. It's great. <laughs> oh, my. And it's Everybody's more impressive when you do it to Republicans than Democrats. It's really impressive. When a guy just finally goes, I quit, I'm done, I have nothing else, fine. There shouldn't be any government. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so now if a person wants to learn about the, the tenant farmer position, the whoopers positions, or about being an element partner, or maybe just to see pictures of what you're doing and things like that, and, and to learn about the permit ethos, um, uh, upcoming PDC, which will probably not be available for purchase again until next spring, to get any of this information, and I'm sure so much more, where do you go? You go to permeethos.com, um, and also check out the Permeethos community. And okay. you didn't ask us about, like, one of the most incredible, earth-shaking, groundbreaking things that we're going to be doing this year. I've got it on my list, and I wanted to get to that right after okay. saying that. And, and so I've said that. Oh, hey, Jack, I've got a note on my list here about something called Perma Ethos TV. 
correct. So part of what makes our PDC different is that we have this bona fide Hollywood producer doing all the work and using things like remote control aerial drones to do flyovers of land contours and things like that. And since he's living on the property and doing this, we cut a deal with him to where not only is he shooting and filming and doing the PDC for his fee, um, that we would put him into a position as, uh, honestly, I guess Kelly really, Joe, if you think about it, is our first true element partner. Um, yeah. With with a percentage back to him for developing Perma Ethos TV, which will be eventually at permaethos.tv, and right now it's just a concept, but it's probably going to be out pretty quick, where we are doing real reality TV, not non-reality TV like you see on television, actual <laughs> videos of actual people doing actual work on permaculture farms, specifically Elijah Spring to begin with, our wolfers, our tenant farmers, Joe, the actual work being done. So you were asking about people seeing everything that's going on, and yeah, a lot of it's blended into the PDC, but the PDC is a 72-hour PDC based on the 14 chapters. We're releasing Permaculture TV, uh, I'm sorry, Permaethos TV, that is going to actually chronicle on a weekly basis all the ongoings on a, as a subscription service. And one of the cool things that we're doing for our people that signed up for the PDC is we'll probably have that actually running full tilt before the PDC is really running full tilt. So we're going to give them a trial period for free on it. And everybody else, it's going to be a low monthly fee. And basically, you can have all the permaculture content you ever dreamed of, full quality HD Great audio, professionally produced by a guy. And I mean, you can look, the guy's name is Kelly Heron. And if I spell it wrong, Joe, correct me. H E R R I N. It's correct, yeah. right? All right, because I messed up spelling all the time. I'm dyslexic. Um, he, if you look up his IMDb, his Internet Movie Database profile, this guy's been working in Hollywood for two decades. Um, he's got a company called All in One. Uh, was it All in One in a Truck or something like that? Was it? All-in-one truck. All-in-one truck. So he's got a full rolling movie studio on a truck that's doing the production of not just the PDC and the B course that Michael Jordan's doing, but the permaculture TV thing. And what he's basically said to us is, I've been trying to get out of Los Angeles for 10 years. And this, this is my is opportunity. Job. This is my yeah. opportunity to do that. So, I mean, this guy's coming out. He's building his own tiny house on our property. He's living there. He's chronicling what we're doing at a level of quality of content that's probably never been seen before with with the quantity going with it. So, I mean, guys like Jeff, the, the guy you just helped, uh, I can't think of his name now, but the guy from Canada with Permaculture Orchard and all, they've done really great jobs. What are they producing? One, two-hour documentaries? We're talking about that type of content on an ongoing basis weekly, and, and that's Permaethos TV. And we're, like, way excited about it because you were talking about how when I'm teaching at, like, a PDC level, I'm teaching the ethics, and you're trying to teach a guy to make a wood pile and, and not break the saw. That's our way to reach that broader audience. We want to make permaculture cool. We want people to be able to look at that and go, I want to be able to do not all of it, but that one thing, and get them to take and put a toe in the water and do it, and, and, and not do it with Hollywood theatrics and creating false traumas and things like that, 
like you see on Discovery and Learning Channel, all that. We want to just show them what really goes on, what really happens, the trials, the victories, the failures, all of it, and be completely honest about it. So Perma, Perma Ethos TV is is something that, like, when we put the whole idea together, we never saw that. But when Kelly Hearn came out and met with Joe and I to talk about a different project, as we put that together, we became ridiculously excited about it. And we could not have a better person to do that. I mean, you just don't get someone with this type of qualification willing to take the gamble and make the content for you. And, uh, you know, there's a big upside for him and the company in it. And, uh, you know, hopefully Kelly will never see Los Angeles again. Oh, man. And, and having him on site has been really incredible in opening my eyes to Parmethus uh, TV because he's already got hundreds of hours, and he shows it to me, and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what the real reality TV should be. This is exactly what we're looking for and what we want to share with the world. And um, I'm really excited for it. It's it's incredible. Okay, so... Um it's going to be available for a subscription. Is it available now? It will be available okay. soon. And, no, and so then for the people, for my pod people that are listening to this right now, and they're like, yeah, yeah I could, uh, I could like look into that. Um, uh, how do they get notified when it's ready? Go to permethos.com and sign up for the newsletter. You'll, you will be notified. Okay. And just so if anybody thinks that I am mean because I say how bad government is, one of the things that we're dragging our heels just a little bit on here is figuring out where we're actually going to sell this product from because Parma Ethos is a Texas corporation, and Texas is a good business environment, except in some businesses, which when you're delivering streaming video content over the Internet, guess what Texas says you're doing, Paul? Cable television service. Why does that matter, you ask? I'll tell you. Great question. It is because if you are sitting in Arlington, Texas, I have to charge you sales tax based on the fact that you're in Arlington, Texas, not based on the fact that I'm selling to you from Fort Worth, Texas. So every single municipality I have to go through manually one at a time when I file our monthly sales tax to the comptroller of the state of Texas. And over $500 in sales tax takes me like... 25 hours of work to pay properly. So one of the things we have to determine as we go forward is a point of sale that's not in Texas and exactly how we do that to start offering Permaethos TV. So we may set up a point of sale in West Virginia. We may set up a subcorporation. One way or another, we have to do this. And I want to be clear. We don't have any problem charging the customer sales tax and giving the sales tax to the state of Texas. We have a problem with the massive amount of work it takes to be able to do it the way they want it done because it's, it's logistically almost impossible. We had about 110 people sign up for the PDC out of the state of Texas, and it took hours and hours. And if we build Permaethos uh, Perma TV into what we think it can be, and we have – a couple thousand uh, subscribers in the state of Texas, you know, we'll have to have a full-time person just to file sales tax in the state of Texas. So w when you hear a business person bitch about the government, it's not always because, oh, we have to pay a tax. 
it, a lot of times, it's all of the BS that we have to deal with to be able to comply with their version of their law. And in this case, it's just logistics. So, you know, we may locate a sales office in West Virginia or something like that uh, where we don't have to do this. So there's a great hey, Paul, example of government screwing yeah. stuff up. Paul, what's the sales tax in Montana? Zero point zero 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 zero. So maybe we need a point of sale office in Montana, so we just don't have to file it. I mean, that's I, and I talked about doing Delaware for the same reason. Um, you do have to have a registered agent and things like that. But these are when, when, again, when you know, we were talking about like element partners and business plans and all. You want to make a living farming or teaching farming or in educate. All of these things always come back and hit you, and you you never know. How they're going to hit you until you get into the into the ring, so to speak, and and you'll always find something. I mean, kind of like you know my little spiel here at the end. In the permaculture world, I find that people latch onto something they want to get done, some sort of thing they think is noble and justified and and worth doing, and they find there's something in the way, and that thing is always initially money. If I only had enough money, I could get this done. And if they are dedicated and they really believe what they're saying, do you know what happens, Paul? They always figure out a way to solve the money problem. And the money problem is never that difficult. The next problem you'll run into when you try to feed people is our government. And that problem is complicated. And so if any of our anarcho-libertarian comments today turned anybody off, this is why. It's, it, it, it's not... Greedy capitalists, like some people think. It's that we're trying to change the world for the better. And you mentioned that Permaethos 1, 2, and now 3 that's actually oper operational. Those first two versions were headed off by just, it was like, it costs too much. It's too much trouble. It's too much government. It's either the, the, the Federal Trade Commission getting in the way or local ordinances getting in the way. And we had to find a way around them. And, and the goal of Permaethos for me has never been to make a lot of money. It's been to radically change the world through permaculture. And it's the only thing that could have drug me back into, let's call it a corporate world. It's the only thing that could have put me back into that, because frankly, I can sit here and do podcasts for the rest of my life and be just fine. And it's always been the hurdle of government that's made change for the better of mankind difficult. I know there's people in your audience that will have a real hard time with that statement, But if you get in the game and actually start trying to feed people and improve people's lives and help people and empower them to build their own business and their own income streams, you won't find money the problem. You'll find the man the problem. But I'll tell you what, that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. True, true. <clears throat> so um, people can go to permaethos.com and they can sign up for the newsletter. And then when Permaethos TV is available, then there will be something sent out to say, it's up, it's up, it's happening. I'm sure Joe will tell you over and over and over again if you <laughs> sign up now, get it now. Yeah, seriously, we will. And uh, I, I think that it's going to be something that, um, you know, we'll try to make as affordable as possible. We do have overhead, obviously, and, and a guy like Kelly's not free. Uh, we can't just share his surplus. Um, but it will be something that, you know, Anybody that's not living in a box will be able to afford, I think. Okay. So, so you don't have any numbers yet. It's just uh, 
it'll be greater than zero and less than a million dollars. Well, probably less it, than a thousand dollars. It won't be ten dollars a month. Uh, the exact number until we have a final decision from 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 all owners. I just simply do not make statements on behalf of the company without a consensus of all owners. I okay. just don't do that because we have a uh, you know talk about a memorandum of understanding with Joel Salatin. Uh, we have an understanding amongst our members that we will find a consensus, not a majority. Um, real quick though, I want to you know you mentioned that and I thought about it and I didn't say it. The most awesome thing in Joel Salatin's uh, Joel Salatin's uh, mem- memorandum of understanding is both parties agree to never sue the other party. <laughs> that. That was that was worth traveling to California to hear for permaculture voices. Um, we will solve our own problem as men. We will not involve the government. So um, I, I I too think that that was that was really cool. Um, although I kind of wonder how much weight it actually has in a courtroom. But I, I at least like the idea that they're going to you know suggest it. Um, we actually have in our shareholders agreement, Paul, inside our company. Um, by our operations agreement, we are required first on any situation to seek not to seek non-binding arbitration, uh, which is a third-party arbitrator service, not a government facility. We are required, and it it one hundred percent holds weight. So if one partner wants to like sue the other partners, they have to go through that process. And after that, they're required. If if we have a non-binding arbitration, which means we don't have to do it, we all we all. Go to somebody, we plead our case, they say, this is what I think you should do, and somebody says, I don't want to do this, then we go to binding arbitration. And we cannot and will not involve a court of law in resolving our internal conflicts. And that's the type of thing we want to set up with all of our partners. And if you write the contract properly, it absolutely holds weight in a court of law. I don't know if Joel's does, but the way we do it, yes, it does. I... I've I've got my own way of of trying to do business. I I like the idea that uh, um, everybody can walk away from a deal at any given time, or that the deal, if it's not something you can walk away from, you have to you're making a commitment to do something that the whole thing will be over quickly. Like you, you know, finish your commitment and then we walk. Yeah, I, I like it's like Bart and I have a business deal for each of the DVD series that we create, and once. The initial release is done. Our transaction is complete. We each have a, a, a license to sell as many copies as we want, and, and we can walk away from each other. But then it's like, and if we want, we can also come together and do another one. Sure. And, and so it's like, we, so we want to be able to, 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 to part on such awesome terms that we can do it again. So um, I keep getting people that are like, oh, I want to enter into this business deal where for the rest of our lives we're going to, calculate out once a month who gets how many dollars and it's kind of like uh no <laughs> I, I do not want to be in in a uh, have that much math in my life that's ob- like this obligatory math every month um i i want to uh, go live the life of a poet and um not not think of these things yeah i've only uh, ever met one person i want to marry and i think it'll stay the number one <laughs> I uh, I I like the idea of residual income streams, where you get a thing set up with some machine somewhere, and then money just starts coming into it your. It spits out the number. Absolutely, yeah. You, you don't have to think about anything. 
Yeah, I'll take a videographer and I'll say, you do this, it works, you have a royalty of 15% or whatever, and then the computer says every month, pay so-and-so X, that I have no problem with. But full-on restrictions on what I do in the future or you do in the future or laborious calculations every month, is it's just not good business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've got... I think I've got a podcast on residual income streams, and and that's that's where my philosophies are. But that's a different thing for a different day. What I want to do is I want to say I got I want to wrap up perm, talking about perma ethos, and then I've got one last tiny thing to talk about. But on perma ethos, we have anything else we want to say about perma ethos right now? That I'll silence be, means no. <laughs> I'll leave that with Joe. I don't. I don't. Nope, I'm good. I think okay. we're uh, recover. So, to the last little thing. First, I want to I want to um, express my gratitude and thanks to Jack for getting me started and creating a podcast. I believe it was Jack's fans who heard me on Jack's show and like somehow cornered Jocelyn or convinced Jocelyn to get me to start making my own podcast. And uh, those people did a bunch of things too, and and the podcast started. So if it wasn't for Jack and his fans. There would be this podcast would not exist, and we're almost to 300 podcasts now. So That's awesome, thank you, Paul. Thank That's you for awesome. that, Jack. And and then the next thing is is that um, for two of my kickstarters, well, actually, actually, I think for three of my kickstarters, you have you have put in support for uh, for for two of them. You've put in a huge amount of support, and I got a lot of money out of it. And. Uh, I, I know that for one of them, uh, you mentioned that in the video stuff, you're talking about, and we're going to have good sound quality. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's a job to me, isn't it? <laughs> that really wasn't, but I'll actually tell you why I, why I pointed that out. Um, it, it really didn't have anything to do with you, it, though you did have one video with some pretty shitty sound quality. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, one of my um, mentors on trying to make my video better is a guy named Shannon Appleby who did videos for uh, for a long time for Harley-Davidson Motorcycles. And he always just wanted to make movies and videos. And one day he got to meet his absolute hero, Steven Spielberg. And he said, when he met his mentor, he said, what is what is the one thing you can tell me about making great video. And he said, Spielberg told him, make wonderful audio for your video. And if you do that, your video will convey what you want. And that kind of hit me. And, you know, I do the best I can. I have wind and crap and all. And I'm, I'm just a guy in a backyard trying to chronicle what I'm doing. But when it comes to providing something to somebody that they're going to pay for, I really can't think of a higher authority on doing that the right way than Spielberg. Um, you know, I mean, whether you love his movies or not, you can't deny his success. And I, I that has just always stuck with me that if you want to make great video, make great audio. And um, I don't know if you know somebody that's probably more qualified to say how to make great video programming, but I don't. Sample of not good audio. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, on that note, <laughs> that, was sorry, huh? that was awesome. We could have never done that if we tried. That was great. A little I feel like I got injured or something. 
um, I anyway, Paul, thank you for having us on on, wait, on today. Wait, wait. I really appreciate it. I got, I got, I got to wrap up the thing. I got a thing to wrap up still. Okay. I got, I mean, so, so of course, with with the uh, you gave me huge support for my uh, Rocket Mass Heater DVD. And then I, I made you the supreme executive producer with Bacon, Cheese, and Sparkles. Yeah. And then uh, later you confided in me two items. One is you don't feel like a very sparkly person. <laughs> no, I'm not sparkly. <laughs> and so, uh, and and two, it was a little weird when you heard it because the sound quality wasn't that good. And it's like, yeah, I was, I I was just videoing. I didn't know. I'm, and now we've we've got Bart now who's like uh, very adamant about good sound quality. But uh, uh, there's there's that, and then the and the last one uh, you supported my uh, world domination gardening uh, Kickstarter, and and in that one uh, we we just put a big thing. So now you've seen this. Now you've seen. Have you, how much of it have you watched of the three DVDs? I watched the first one. That's the only one I've seen so far. Sound quality. I still one. haven't gotten my copy. <laughs> so Josiah, I I I thought I set you up with like the streaming version. But I think that might have been like before all the streaming stuff got flushed down the toilet, thanks to a lovely configuration in Vimeo called, oh, do you want to use this over here also? Yes. Okay. We just flushed all your settings down the toilet. Oh, no. Nice. That's what you probably want. So um, uh, we, we tried to put it all back, so maybe you got overlooked, and I can get that back to you. But, so Jack, you've seen one of the three DVDs, and of course – was your your little uh, introduction? Your, the thanks to you in the video was that acceptable for? Uh, oh, that was great. That was okay. great. Let me say something about that video. I actually really love what you did with that because you showed all the preliminary stuff, all the the let's evaluate the site. Let's think about this before you were married to the design decisions. And I think with a lot of the, the documentaries in permaculture, what you see is the orchard as it exists today, 20 years later or something like that. And I know that people want to see that because it's awesome, and I love seeing it. But if I want to design something, then I need to see you go out to a place that sucks and make it not suck anymore. And and that's what you were able to do. And and I, I think that we need more of that from people making videos in the permaculture world. Let's show the development and let's show let's show some indecision without making it fake like reality TV. Let's show people sitting there and discussing and go, I'm not sure, maybe we do this and and let's actually see that because if I hire you as a consultant, that's what I'm paying for is that time. And I don't think we have enough video content of that, so I'm looking forward to seeing the next two. But that sold me on what you did right there because that is what a person needs to see to understand, number one, how do I do this myself? And number two, if I hire someone to come and consult, how's it going to go down? They're not just going to walk in and go, here, 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 go. No, no. They're going to need to talk, discuss, walk the site, understand the considerations of design, not just the physical considerations of design, but things like, well, there's neighbors here. Yeah, let's not put a great big thing in that's going to wash down and go see them, right? Or or mess things up for them, what you'd call social design consideration. So very, very well done, Paul. I, I, again, I have only seen the first one just due to time restrictions, but what I've seen has been great. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad you, I'm glad you like it. I, 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 and of course the sound was good. Sound, you yeah. know, yeah, you don't perfect. have any problem having your name on that one. <laughs> no, none, none. Okay, all right, good, good, good. And uh, Joe helped you out quite a bit too, man. You know. Oh, good. 
Well, yeah, we, we got, uh, I, I actually, in the video, I give thanks um, to Josiah, Josiah too, in, yeah. in, the, in the video, towards the end. I mean, not as much as what I gave to you and, and the survivalpodcast.com, but um, it's in there. I mean, basically what I did was, is I looked at my stats at the end of the Kickstarter, and for everybody that, you know, brought in a significant number of, in, of, of dollars to the Kickstarter, I wanted to make sure that they got healthy thanks in, in, the, um, in the actual product. So uh, I'm I'm very grateful for that, um, and then and then the thing is is like that one last little tidbit that this is a lead in to the last little tidbit, and that is that you and I have exchanged a lot of emails about Kickstarter, and um, uh, and of course you're you're grooving on Permaculture Orchard for which I'm listed as the supreme executive producer. You are. You had many sparkles and much bacon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, uh, I I think that the thing is is that you. You sent me that email to say, "Look at all the money that I raised without Kickstarter," and um, and it's like, uh, and I, I sent you back a long email in which I kind of spelled out like, um, "Well, Kickstarter actually takes this amount of percentage." So so it's like, uh, um, but the bottom line is, is that you know you had a you had some cut out of yours as well for when people were probably paying. Most people probably paid with PayPal. I'm guessing. Correct. Yeah, and and PayPal takes a cut. So it's not um, much though. It's it's oh, in the end it ends up to be about one and a quarter percent. It's not eight. Um Oh no, it's not eight. I think it's three and a half. No, it's it's nope. really not. When it's when it's all said it and it's less than two percent. If you're doing low dollar sales, see, and that's the other thing too. So, like in your Kickstarters, you're doing some one dollar, three dollar, five dollar stuff. We we had one thing, one price, and yeah. done. And I'll I'll tell you the biggest thing for us wasn't the percentage; it was flexibility. So when you do Kickstarter, they're like you sell whatever you sell, and then whatever your product is, you must sell it through us for sixty days or whatever it is afterward. Where we were able to sit at the end of our two and a half hour launch and go, "Holy crap, we need to do something, work it out, and come back with a secondary offering," and and to be flexible that way. And I I just don't think we could have been as flexible as we were. We couldn't have been as limiting as we were. We couldn't have been as generous to our audience as we were. We could have had the the freedom that we did with Kickstarter. And my thing is, I've seen people like you do really well on Kickstarter. I've seen people that have done a really good job, have a really good product, really good concept, and not fund on Kickstarter. And my problem with that is they probably could have done just as much without Kickstarter. And I'm not saying Kickstarter is bad. I'm just saying that the most successful people that use Kickstarter have huge communities and huge networks. And they could probably harness those huge communities and huge networks without a third party that's, to me, providing a web page that I can build for myself in 15 minutes. And if you want to go that route, I have no problems with it. I've sent people to you. Like, if Paul says he can help you... Go with Paul. Paul is yeah. like a freaking Yoda of Kickstarter. But my thought <laughs> is, that, if you can if you can make it happen without them, why do you need them? So I, I want to answer that exact question. Okay. And and then um, and then maybe you've got something to say about my answer. But um, here's here is what I see when I when I use Kickstarter because you're right. And plus, part of it is is that 
I go out and I, I'll use Kickstarter and I'll use all of my network and stuff. And I'll get, like on the World Domination Gardening, we wanted $18,000 to do it. And yep. then I went and I, I hit my dailyish email people twice. And then I, I had it up on the Permies website. And um, after three days, it was pretty clear that people, people from the dailyish email were done. And we'd only collected like $10,000. Okay. And so it's like, okay, so my network is not as big as yours, obviously. So um, uh, I could then, I, you know, I have. I'm not sure more. about that, Paul. I mean, I've been pretty impressed with what you've been able to do. And see, here's the thing, right? So what was the next thing you did? Well, you reach out to your extended network like me. Well, yeah. you think if you would have came to me and said, Jack, I, I've got this new product. It's awesome. Check it out. And, and if it was on permies.com instead of Kickstarter, I would have been like, you know what, dude? It's not on Kickstarter, so screw up. I'm not supporting you. I would have still supported you. And I think most of your network would have. So unless you're going to tell me that there was this huge sweep in at the end that all came from people who knew not of you or me or any of your other extended networks from them, then I'm going to say you probably could have done it without them. If that happened, then they were probably the right fit for you. So everything you're saying is true. And and it's like I, I could have had an, an open thing where it's like, hey, if people support me this much money, if I get this much money in so many days, I mean, I could have basically done a Kickstarter without Kickstarter, without yep. any Kickstarter-like entity. Absolutely true. Now let's talk about what Kickstarter provides, I believe, and that is that if your product does well, you get put on their popular list. And then sure. you'll, you'll get a bunch of people supporting your Kickstarter um, because they're there to Kickstarter to support somebody else's Kickstarter. So there's there's some of that. But I have to say, just for the record, for all the Kickstarters that I've done, I've gotten extremely little money from that. Okay. Um, now, now, this is where I turn, where I'm going to go to you, and I'm going to say, if you had used, if you had done your thing and routed it through Kickstarter, now, of course, you didn't need the extra money or the extra you know stuff. You would have we sold been, out. Done. Yeah, you would have said yeah, we, sold we out, have a so. limit of one thousand, and then the whole Kickstarter ends <laughs> after two hours. Correct. And so it's done. Um, but here's here's a couple of things. A, you probably would have rocketed to the top of the popular list, and and granted, you might have accidentally gotten two or three people who would have actually paid for it, thus blocking out two or three of, of your dedicated listeners, which Correct. would have been unfortunate. That would have been contrary, probably, to your wishes. Absolutely. But, but here's what it would have done that's a positive, and that is that it would have probably made several thousand people aware of, of permaculture and what you're doing that otherwise would have never have heard about it. And and on top of that, their first exposure to permaculture would have been something that is substantial instead of something that's blowing rainbows out your ass. And and on top of that, maybe a third of them have heard of the word permaculture before, but they would have looked at it and they would have thought, well, I thought permaculture was about blowing rainbows out your ass. And instead they would have learned that it's no, it's something substantial. And so... I, I think that uh, that was that was a, a missed opportunity. Now, now, granted, I agree with your analysis. That's like if you're going to run something that's going to be low funded anyway, it's not going to make the popular list at Kickstarter, so it really isn't going to be doing you much good. 
So that's that's all I wanted to say is that from my knowledge of Kickstarter, this this was um, in some ways a missed opportunity. And um, but uh, if if it were an open ended thing for thirty days or even ten days or something like that, it's I I suspect that with the amount of traffic that you would have been getting, that you you may have been able to collect um, uh, you know more money than they would have taken. If we were trying to raise a couple million dollars, the explosion that we could have created with our network may have transpired over the Kickstarter network. I think the odds are pretty long, and here's my thing. Um, One of my, my favorite founders of this country is a dude named Thomas Jefferson. You may have heard of him before. Okay. Right, he's a pretty cool guy, and one of his biggest pieces of advice to the people of this country going forward was to avoid entangling alliances. And one of the reasons I ally with you, Paul, is because we have this very clear understanding. This is what I think. This is what you think, and we don't agree on some things. And we might even tell each other to f off once in a while, and we're okay with that. We don't have an entangling alliance. We have a common agenda, a common goal. We work together and we support each other. To me, Kickstarter is the very definition of an entangling alliance. You're telling me how I must market and sell my product for a period of two months after you've done whatever you can do for me. And at that point, you've entangled me, and I prefer not to be entangled. But I can see your point uh, with certain things in certain markets. And honestly, if certain people can tie in with certain folks like yourself that have learned the system, what I love about what you did is you started out with this little bitty project on light bulbs. And you used it to teach yourself the ropes, and then you've become very good at working that system. And if that works for you, God bless you with it. And when you do another one, I'll help you with it. But as for me and mine, we shall be independent. Okay. The way our founders wished for us to be. So, yeah, you've sent a couple of people my way, and I have um, uh, tried to help them in many ways. Hell, Josiah contacted me a few months ago. And and I I tried to help him, um, uh, and so it's yeah. Uh, and there's been a couple that I've supported openly, and and I'm not sure how much support I do. But but one thing I've learned is is that if I just do it by myself, the amount of money that comes in is is very little. Um, whereas if I if I work the system and I try to do the, the Kickstarter way, I I think I bring in ten times more more money. Then you should uh, keep doing that. So, but yeah, exactly. And I don't know why, but that's, this is my business philosophy is you try 100 things, two of them will work out and you never know in advance which two. Well, here's what I love about Kickstarter. There are, there are tens of thousands of people who have done something meaningful and made a difference that would never have done it without it. Because even though they could have done it without them, they don't know that. So it took that that little uh, life preserver to make them willing to jump in the pool. So, you know, good for them. And I think they've done some really great things. And if they ever figure out how with the Jobs Act and all the stuff that Congress is dragging their feet on to actually make the contributions with Kickstarter a capitalization into the company without accredited investors, meaning that it's not taxable income, then they are worth a million dollars to everybody that uses them. Until <laughs> then, I shall stay independent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I understand. It's It's been good for me. All right, that's all I got. That's my whole list. 
All right, I got to go cook for my wife. Joe's got a farm to run, and we appreciate you having us, Paul. Thanks for being Thank on the show, much, guys. Paul. And thanks again, Jack, for everything you've done for my empire. I'll talk to you guys later. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about permaculture ethics. <laughs> no, 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 we don't. <laughs> Homesteading and permaculture all the time. <laughs>